0: Let's pray together. God, may it be so by your grace and your mercy, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have this hope in the depth of our soul. That we would know whether it be in the flood or the fire, that you're with us and that you won't let us go. God, that looks like a lot of different things in these days, from realities of the coronavirus to the realities just of broken lives, broken bodies, a broken culture. God, that there is indeed around us a hurt there is within, even in us, brokenness, and so, God, we, we desperately need that hope in the depth of our soul that tells us that that what you've promised us, that no matter what, you won't let us go. God, I pray that not only for us as a church, for us as individuals, but uh, for us as a city, as a community, as a valley. I pray that for us um, as a nation. I pray that for us even as a world. Pray that for your church. Pray that for your people. God, that today we would know of your strong arm that holds us, that strong arm that loves us. God, we uh, come to you desperate for you. We, like the psalmist says, even with the dear panth, to know your goodness to know your mercy, to know your sustenance. And so as we come to your word, may it be that we would pull our chairs up to the banqueting table of this feast that you've given us for today. God, that we might uh, see you, know you, even experience you in these moments as your word is revealed to us. As your great love is revealed to us. For your glory, for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dan and his wife were taking their kids to the beach for the very first time. Everyone was excited. By the time they got to the hotel, it was late, so there was no time to explore the ocean on that first day. But they did have time to go down to the swimming pool. So Dan and his three small kids went down and they were swimming in the pool, having a blast. Um, But as they woke in the morning, uh, Dan and his wife were so excited that today was the day that the kids would see the ocean for the very first time. Except, here's the deal, the kids wanted to go back to the pool. This his good parents. They said, okay, let's go back to the pool. But after so long in the pool, Dan says, listen, kids, we, we have this great surprise for you. You're not going to believe what you get to see as we go to the ocean. Let's go. And they're all like, we don't want to go. You see, the kids were satisfied with the pool, not knowing what they didn't know about the ocean. So end of story is that Dan pulls his kids out of the pool with lots of tears, Right? And takes them to the ocean to which their eyes are wide open. And they have this glorious time. Guess what? They never went back to the pool. (laughs) C.S. Lewis has said, We are all half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I'm reminded of that story, true story, of Dan and his family, and this often repeated quote this morning as we come to consider the love of God. As a culture, we have made much of love, But often we have played with love as a mud pie in the slums rather than dwell in the love of God as a holiday at the sea. We've dealt with love like we're in the swimming pool, the limited understanding of it, when there is a great ocean of love at our disposal that we simply do not know. We've been far too easily pleased by something we thought was love, only to be devastatingly hurt by our short-sightedness. couple of examples in that. We have short-circuited the, the biblical ideals of love in marriage by our sexual freedoms outside of marriage, whether that's sexual encounters before marriage or affairs in the life of marriage, both falling far short of what God offers us in sexual purity within the boundaries of marriage. You see what I mean? Uh, this is another example. We've, we've allowed diversity in our culture to interfere with how we treat one another in love. And we've robbed our culture of, of, the, of the beauty of knowing the unity of Jesus in the midst of our vast differences. Certainly highlighted in horrific stories like the one recently with the shooting of Ahmad Arbery. In Georgia. But you know what? Maybe seen as well in our own hearts, in how we treat others, how it's difficult sometimes to love others who are not like us. Maybe the most devastating of all is how we've expected. Listen, how we've expected the love of God to fit our prescribed definition rather than spending our lives exploring what Paul describes as immeasurable. What we've made the love of God like the swimming pool that we're confined in and we're comfortable with rather than understanding and praying that God would reveal to us the immeasurable reality of His love like the ocean would be. That we've ceased praying that We would know more of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We've ceased to yearn and pray to know the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of the love of God. That we've made the love of God and our love for one another much less than what God desires it to be, and therefore have just settled for mud pies rather than holidays at the sea. We've been thinking together in this short mini-series through COVID-19 about the question of who is God? Maybe especially who is God in the midst of a pandemic? Uh, It's been a search for things that are certain in a time where everything seems uncertain. Or even that there is uncertainty in your life, not just in a pandemic, but... Maybe in lots of other ways. It's been an excellent time to to rethink who God is. And and today, uh, our focus is on rethinking on what it means for God to be love. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 21. And I, I want us to try to discover out of this text, the holiday at the sea, that we might leave the mud pies behind. That, that we would see, maybe get a glimpse of the reality of the ocean of God's love that we might be inclined to leave the small swimming pool that we often confine it to. Uh, I like to give you sometimes a sermon in a sentence. I'll give it to you before we read the text so that you might listen for it. There's three points to the text and they kind of fill themselves out in this way. That My prayer for you is that today you would know the love of God in order that you would know that you are loved, in order that you might love others. Hear that? That we would know the love of God, in order that we might know that we are loved, that we might love others. The book of 1 John, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. This is the word of God. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved, but but, but that God has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God help us in the understanding of his word. Three points. God is love. We are loved. We ought, therefore, to love one another. First, God is love. John says in verse 7 that love is from God. And then in verse 8, and again in verse 16, he says that God is love. might be confusing. How do those things jive? How can something come from someone and yet still be someone? God, Love is from God, and yet love is God. Well, uh, maybe it's helpful uh, in illustrative form to... Think about a fire. We've had uh, a couple of campfires already this year. uh, And they've both been in the context of having our granddaughters over. And so when the granddaughters ask for a fire, Pat makes a fire. That's just the way it goes. And one of the things, though, that we've had to communicate each time that we've made a fire is what? That fire is hot. (laughs) A four-year-old, a three-year, almost three-year-old, a one-year-old needs to be reminded of the reality that fire is hot. But let me ask you. Is the heat from the fire or is the heat part of the nature of the fire? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> heat comes from the fire because heat is a part of the nature of the fire. With me? God is more glorious than the fire, but the principle is similar. Love comes from him because God in his very nature what is love. We, we cannot use love as something separate to describe God. But rather, we, we need to see love as something that is at the very core of who God is. In fact, love by its very definition has to come from who God is in His very nature. You cannot separate love in any way from the nature of God. Now, if that's true we need to begin to adjust our vocabulary a bit, don't we? If I think about the unsearchable depth of the love of God, and that is the definition of love, then I can't say that I love peanut butter. That's an overreach, right? I, I can't take the incomparable love of God and begin to apply it towards something as simple as peanut butter. What I can say is that I like peanut butter. And I like it a lot. And please don't tell my wife because it's not in our eating plan. And uh, so when I eat it, I've got to sneak it and uh, cheat just a little. Listen, when I say that I love the Steelers, that's probably a bit of an overreach. I like them a lot. In fact, I probably like them a little too much at times. They become a bit of an idol for me, or I get too engrossed in the reality of a game and ignore people around me. But but I can't say that I love them. Not when love is defined by very the very nature of who God is. How about this? How about when I say I love my wife? Ha! Now we're getting there, Right? So, when I first told Denina I loved her, probably at the age of 16, I was probably a bit premature. But now that we've been married for 32 years, almost 33 years, uh, this is a biblical communication. When I tell my wife that I love her. Why? Because in Ephesians 5, it tells me that I am to love my wife as what? As Christ loved the church that by virtue of the very definition of love in the nature of God is the very thing that I'm to to lean into my wife with in love. Now, I don't tell you all this because we're going to start policing your vocabulary. But I do want to help us move away from settling for a lesser love by defining love as God's love. The very nature of God. I want us not to settle in saying to our wives that or our spouses that we love them uh, much like we love peanut butter or the Steelers. It's much more than that. Rather, I, I want us to begin to commit to love our wives, our spouses, and each other as God loves. What does that look like? It's really quite frankly a huge subject that we could divulge into seeing how, how, how God loved himself within the Trinity. Wow, that's a, that, that fills volumes, right? Uh, we could begin to look into it as a, how, how God loves humanity as a whole. But, but our, our text really focuses on simply how God loves his children. So for the sake of time this morning, because this is already probably going to be a long sermon, let's just go to that one place, right? The, the place of how God loves his children. So, some great news this morning. If you are a Christian, here, here we, we're going to see how it is that God has loved you. Great news if you're not sure if you're a Christian, maybe on the fence wondering whether you have a commitment to Christ or not. I have I, great news. I, I believe that in this text and understanding the love of God, it will woo you into a place where you will be sure that you want to immerse yourself. In this great love, and and maybe here's a crazy thought that you're that you're not a Christian and you're still watching, right? I love number one that you're still watching, and and number two that I believe that if you are still watching, still connected in this message, that maybe indeed God is wooing you to convince you of His great love for you. God is love. So, point number two, we are loved. God is love, therefore, we are loved. Here is the the core of the text. Look at how many ways John shares about the love of God for us. He shares it, listen, in in contrast to the, the false and the fake ways that, that expressed love in so many ways back, back for the church that John is writing to, as well as even now. Because there is a myriad of false loves, of fake loves, of the reality. So he's, he's contrasting this love with those loves to say, we are loved, and we are loved in this way. First of all is this, we, we, we are loved in, that this is love that God gave his son. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Under we are love. The first first way that John expresses that is this way: that that love is that God gave His Son. Here it would be really helpful to have behind us an understanding of the amazing love that God has for Himself in the Trinity. That, that before time began, before earth was made, before we were created, there was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But, but as Tony Evans would describe it, only the way that Tony Evans can, there was a love fest in the Trinity. Right? There was this sense, and we, we hear in the New Testament as Jesus repeatedly talks about how the Father has loved Him. And, and so in that we we know that the Son indeed has this respect and love for the Father, and in that the Spirit of God is at the very core of that love, that there is this love fest going on before they created anything. A love for one another. And the Father loves His Son with such a deep love. And that might help us understand how much He loves us, in the fact that He's given His Son... To a corrupt and broken world on our behalf. A world that would show the greatest injustice of all time in taking the innocent life of his son whom he had given to us. You know, it's Memorial Day. And there are thousands of people across the country who, who see this day as more than a holiday. In fact, it's a stark remembrance of sending their loved ones to the front lines of war, to the front lines of a battle that is caused by brokenness, that is caused by sin, and literally giving their lives for the sake of their country. There are people who grieve this weekend as they remember sending their son or their daughter into battle and losing them there. That's love. (laughs) It is reflective and yet still falls short of the love that God has for you. Because this is love that God gave His Son. That's how much He loves you. We, we are loved, first, by seeing that this is love that God gave His Son. Secondly, we're seeing that we are loved, and that this is love, that Jesus would die so that we might live. Here's the Gospel, right? Verse 10 in our text. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, right? We've covered that, to be right the propitiation, big word, we'll get to it, for our sins, this is love, that Jesus would die so that we might live. So going back to verse 9, it says that Jesus came into the world so that we might live through him. What does that say about life without him? Think about that. If, if, if we are to have life through him, if the only way to get to life is through him, then what is life without him? Yeah, it's death. <laughs> that That in a life without Jesus, we die eternally. There is, there is no hope in our soul <laughs> without the reality of Jesus in our lives. Because our sin, our shortcomings, our failures eternally separate us from God. As Paul says in Romans, that the wages of sin, the, the payment of sin, is what? Is death. But. Oh, a a big but repeated in the scriptures time and time again. God says in verse 10 that He loves us so much that He sent His Son to be a propitiation for those sins. So what in the world does propitiation mean? Well, the word is so awesome, there isn't an easy word to describe it. Maybe the best word might be to appease. Really, the closest understanding of the Greek there is to appease. Uh, The message, I don't often... Uh, quote the message, uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the Bible. Uh, but here, I think it's helpful. He, he says this that he sent God sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. That's propitiation. That our sins will be cleared away as well as the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Here's the deal: our sins have made us enemies with a holy God, and it deserves death. But, here is the love of God. He sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice to appease the anger of God toward our sin, and therefore to make it right. Again, as Paul would say in Romans 5, that while we were still, what, sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't get better, we didn't get good, we didn't get perfect, that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. Someone had to die for what we have done. And God loves us so much that He sent Jesus to stand in our place, to take on God's rightful anger or His wrath toward our sin. We are loved. We are loved in that God sent His Son. And we are loved Secondly, in that Jesus has come in order to die for our sin. And then thirdly in this text, uh, though there are more. uh, Thirdly in this text, I want us to see that we are loved. That this is love that we never have to fear death. Look at verse 17. By this, he's talking about this love. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have, listen, confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. Man, there's so much to hear in this, but just hear this. We, we enter, uh, because Christ has come for us, because Christ has died for us, we enter the judgment of God with confidence. I don't know, maybe you want to get up around your living room and walk with confidence. Not ego, right? But with confidence. Your, your head's up, your eyes are forward, you're making eye contact. Right? I want you to hear that in this context. That we face judgment with confidence. Because we are so good. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen. Because Christ has come for us. And Christ has died for us. John then says this. We might enter judgment with confidence. With our heads held high. With an expectation of being in the presence of and in the glory of God, and of spending eternity there. That we can know that. Listen, I talk to way too many people that spend time making mud pies in their fear of the moment of judgment. They'll ask themselves the question, will I have... Well, have I done enough? Uh, am I good enough? Will I make it? What will God say? And I have conversation after conversation of people that I know are Christians, that I know that Christ has come for, has died for, and yet there's this fear that they're spending time in the swimming pool when there is an ocean that says, listen, you can enter the confidence into judgment. Not because of you, but because of Christ. So John says to the church, That because of the love of God, we can have confidence. Verse 18 is often misquoted in lots of different contexts. But I want you to hear today the beautiful context of this verse. It's talking about eternal judgment. And it says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, you are fearing the reality of judgment, then you have not understood the depth of the love of God that has sent Christ for you, the love of Christ that has died for your sins. If you are fearing the judgment, it is because you have not fully understood the perfect, divine nature of love in God. A love that does not come through what you have done. These verses in no way reflect anything that we have done. But rather, at verse 16 it says, A love that comes because God abides in us. A love that comes because Jesus has died for us. A love that comes that drives out fear of judgment because Jesus has taken on and He has appeased that judgment. A love that allows us to walk to judgment, not based on what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. This is love. That we never have to fear death. It's what allowed the Apostle Paul to proclaim, what? To die is gained and to live is Christ. It's why I've had the privilege of conversations with many in my ministry who face death but they do so with confidence. I, I, I don't want to mention just two guys to leave out others, but two that reflect on my two years here as Keith Stewart and Jeff Johns, and which I've had multiple opportunities as they faced death to have this conversation. And both of them faced that reality with confidence because they knew of the ocean depth of love that God had for my opportunity to have win-win conversations knowing that if they die, they go to heaven but if God spares them somehow miraculously they are allowed to live for Him It's, it's why in this whole coronavirus thing we as Christians we must not fear as the world does listen, we remain smart We don't go lick doorknobs, right? But we do not cower. We must not fear even death, which leads to the application of these verses. But before we turn there, don't leave this point without it sinking in a bit more. People of God here, God is love. Therefore, you, we are loved. Oh, how it is that He loves us. Oh, the depth, the breadth, the width, the height. How immeasurable it is. How much like the ocean it is. A holiday at the sea that it is. Is his love. And then this application. If indeed we know that, if indeed we get God's love, his redefined love, and we know that we are loved, then the application of this text is clearly that we should love others. Simply, hear the thought of John as he writes to the church the measure of how well you get the love of God will be shown in how well you love others. Francis Chan has said, if we kind of get the love of God, then we're going to kind of love other people. (laughs) But build on that, will you? How about when we get more the love of God, that we will naturally share the love of God with others? John Piper compares it to a fish in the stream. That, that is, there's that is ones loved by God, we will naturally flow in love for others. It's, it's what fishes do, they don't have to think about it. It's this reality of our heart beating in the sense that it is natural that as we get the love of God, we will naturally flow. In love for others. Here in the text, quickly, verse 7 says, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love, what? One another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected It is seen in us. Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates His brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, here's a summary, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So make sure you get this in the order that it's intended. We do not love one another to prove that we understand the love of God. Rather, we yearn to understand the love of God, the depth of the love of God, so that we naturally, instinctively will love one another. When we limit ourselves to the swimming pool of God's love, we're only going to have the swimming pool to offer to others. But when we find the ocean, oh boy, we can invite others to that joy. When we limit ourselves to mud pies, we will only have mud pies to offer in love to others. But when we discover the holiday at the sea, we will invite others to join us there. Oh, people, God, how I I yearn for the day when I get the love of God so well that loving others becomes as natural as a fish in the stream. How about you? This loving others has been put to the test this past 10 weeks, has it not? (laughs) In fact, can I suggest with John Piper, who in his book, Coronavirus and Christ, which we've been referring to week by week, can I suggest with him that the coronavirus is God's call to his people to overcome self-pity and fear and with courageous joy to do good works of love that glorify God. I'll repeat that. That the coronavirus is God's call. One of the maybe reasons that the coronavirus is here is that it's God's call to His people to overcome self-pity and fear and with courageous joy to do good works of love that glorify God. He points out in his book that the coronavirus is not the first pandemic in history. And he records how repeatedly, in times much worse than what we have experienced, that the doctors literally fled the sick that the religious leaders of the day fled the country and politicians fled to private places. But do you know where the Christians were? The Christians have gone down in history as far back as the second century in being the ones who have selflessly cared for the dying and the sick, even at the risk of their own lives. Why? Because they... Understood the depth of the love of God, and it was instinctive for them to love the broken and the hurting. How will history reflect the church during the coronavirus? I pray that it's not for rebellious meetings in contention with local authorities. I pray that it's not the church fighting over to mask or not to mask. (laughs) But that it will be that the church loved one another and their communities. Like they did in the second century. Like they did in the 1800s. Like they did with every other pandemic and plague that has come. That we would be known for sacrificially... Loving one another. Covenant Church, how will we be remembered in this time? As a church playing in the shallow end of the pool? Or a church that is willing to dive into the depths of the ocean? As a church that obviously understands the love of God because we have expressed that love to one another and to our community? Or just a building taking up space on these State streets? Uh, the great theologian Jimi Hendrix. Teasing, of course. But he said this, and it's good. If we practice the power of love rather than the love of power, we would have a peaceful world. Jimi Hendrix, if we practice the power of love rather than the love of power, we will have a peaceful world. Here's my challenge. To me, To you, to us. Let's swim out to the depths of the love of God that we might practice the power of that love. I've shared uh, in a couple of contexts now that I feel as if we are transitioning from triage to rehab as a church, maybe even as a culture That in triage, we are so consumed with the wound that we sometimes don't see the whole person. We've we've been consumed with the wound of the virus, and while it is not over by any stretch of the imagination, it is time to move from a ministry of comfort, addressing the wound, to exercising ministry muscles that make us strong again. Some of you have been doing that exceedingly well. Loving from a deep understanding of the love of God. But listen, it's time for all of us to do it. It's time for us as a church to rise again and to love well. So here's some practical suggestions. Who who are you going to call this week that you haven't called yet in the last 10 weeks? Who who are you going to call that you're going to add to your call list Someone that that as you pray, God, would you give me an understanding of the love of God that I might love someone? It might even be someone that you have aught with, that you need to settle with. It might be someone that you haven't talked to in years. It might be someone that's very close to you, but you've just not reached out. Who is it that you're going to call this week from an understanding of the love of God in an attempt to love others? Let me ask you this, how how will you, how will we as a church begin to discover uh, the deeper wounds of this virus in our community and begin to address them? Because if we're honest, man, by God's grace and in His mercy, Mercer County has not felt the weight of this physical virus like others have. But I can assure you, as many of you know, we as a county, uh, the city of Sharon, the Shenango Valley, in many ways are in deep despair as a result of the response to this virus. Whether it be unemployment, whether it be mental illness, whether it be abuse in their homes. And there are so many suffering as a result of what is happening in our community. How will we dig this out and how will we become aware of it and then how will we become involved in a solution for it? That out of the deep love of God we might love others. Listen, as excited as I am for us to regather as a body for worship, and I am excited to have you here, that cannot be our goal. Our goal is not to get back inside this building, inside this sanctuary. Our goal cannot be to once again gather. I'll tell you what our goal should be that we might effectively scatter into our community, understanding the love of God, to share the love of God. As good as it will be to gather, may we gather only to be inspired that we might scatter for the sake of the gospel. It's our mission, church. Let's not forget we are called out to be sent with one another into the world. We, we are called out to be sent in. We are called out to understand the depths of the love of God. That we might be sent into a world that desperately needs to know of that love. That's our mission. That's our call. And we've been equipped for it. Oh, let's let's leave the swimming pool to swim in the depths of the ocean, God's love. Leave the confinements of what we think love is to discover what love really is as God is love. That we, like a fish in the stream, might instinctively swim in a way that loves other people sacrificially, selflessly, and for the glory of God. May it be. Let's pray. God, would you help us? Easy to say, easy to preach, easy to listen to. Easy maybe even to understand. But each of us have hard places in our lives where we need to hear this and apply it. God, you have you've called us out as individuals, you've called us out as a church to be your vehicles of love. May it be that. We thank you that it's not empty-handed that we go, but it is a a life and a heart full of your love that sent your Son. That Jesus, you would die for our sins. That we would have nothing to fear. Not even death itself. May that be And may we live for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you uh, join me, maybe stand where you are uh, this morning. Join me in singing about a reckless love. Not a reckless love because it's careless, but because it is well beyond the confines of what we would describe as love. A love that God has for us. A love that we are to have for one another. Let's worship together.